This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. What's going on in the world of non-fungible tokens or NFTs? You know those pieces of digital art that are selling for millions of dollars? For those who've been asleep for the last several months, NFTs are the hottest craze in town. They allow you to create, sell, and own digital art with the same sense of uniqueness and individuality that comes with owning a Van Gogh original, and often for the same price. And talking about outrageously priced art, what are we to make of the digital rendition by the artist People that sold for $89 million this year? Or a cat meme worth more than a Boeing jet? What is going on in the world of NFTs? This is the Wild West, a much-hyped new way of buying and selling digital art. In fact, the transparency and certainty that blockchain technology offers with regards to provenance and authenticity is very attractive to the art world. Sales volumes for NFTs surged to $2.5 billion in the first six months of 2021. And while this may pale in comparison to the $50 billion in sales of mainstream art and antiques in 2020, The fact that the market cap has grown nearly tenfold since 2018 has made the art world and investors alike sit up and take notice. In fact, there's something of a land grab going on in the NFT space, where we see for the first time ever the ability to assign and prove ownership of digital goods not managed by a central intermediary. Joining us to unpack all of this is Chris Becker, blockchain lead and investor. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us. We've had you on before talking about blockchain technology, but I wanted to talk to you this time and pick your brains on NFTs. Many people argued that NFTs were a joke when they first came out. After all, who would pay millions of dollars for a piece of digital art? But there's some serious money behind this, about $2.5 billion in six months. Tell us how we got here so fast. Hi, Kieran. Yeah, good to talk to you again. So it's very, it's been very interesting to kind of watch the journey of different uh, blockchain use cases over the last few years. So, you know, it kind of started off you know, several years ago with Bitcoin as this initial invention of a new digital asset that would function as a currency and a store of, store of value that could be transferred between different people over a, over, over a technology system that's decentralized and not controlled by a central intermediary, which was obviously uh, a, a big technological breakthrough in that you could bring a- aspects of the physical world where if I passed something to you from my person to your person, we've transferred an asset. Uh, those properties of scarcity were the, for the first time ever brought into the digital world with Bitcoin where you could have a scarce asset transferred from one person to another purely over a technology system without somebody having to keep books and ensure that, you know, I didn't create, I don't still have that bit of electronic information that I say I've transferred to you. So it solved a massive problem in the digital world. So that was kind of the first use case and everybody was saying, you know, this, so this, you know, but Bitcoin's not that interesting, but the blockchain technology that powers it is so interesting. And I guess Ethereum was was launched in 2015, 14, 15, 16 was kind of when Ethereum was was started off as an idea. And that introduced this concept of smart contracts where you could have logic encoded into a blockchain system. So in addition to moving coins around, you could also move other types of digital goods around that that is controlled by logic. In other words, move coin 
this coin to Kiron if the following conditions have been met. That's essentially what a smart contract is. It's not always necessarily that smart, but if you put a whole bunch of smart contracts together, you can start getting some complexity. And, and then what started happening in 2017 and 2018 is we saw some um, uh, applications being built on Ethereum predominantly that made it possible for you to essentially consume financial services on top of the Ethereum blockchain. This space exploded last year and it was, it's known, uh, you know, sort of colloquially in the crypto space as DeFi or decentralized finance. And so there you're dealing with, uh, with stock exchanges on Ethereum, but that's not a stock exchange in the sense that, that we used to, it's really just smart contracts that intermediate trade between different people who are connected to a blockchain like Ethereum. And other applications like money market systems and derivatives markets and all sorts of very interesting things were being built in DeFi. And now the next use case of, of blockchain, this technology and in inverted commas that people speak about that's more powerful than Bitcoin itself is uh, NFTs. And an NFT simply is, it's a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain that brings property rights to digital goods. And so how one can think about a non-fungible token, also known as an NFT, which is the acronym, or NIFTY as some people call it, is that um, it's, it's not fungible in the sense that if I've got in my left hand 100 Rand notes and in my right hand 100 Rand notes, you, Kieran, are not going to mind if I pay you for a service you give me in either of the 200 Rand bills to you that is essentially the same thing. Currency is fungible in that sense. When we talk about unique assets, like a parcel of real estate, for example, it has attached to it a title deed, and that's a unique title deed. There's only one parcel of real estate with, with that, that has that title deed to it. And so in the digital economy sense, in the digital asset class sense, that's how NFTs fit in. You can think of them as title to a digital good. And so it's opened up a whole new asset class, essentially, there's a capital structure of different types of assets being built. And art in the world of NFTs is the first use case, but it stretches much more broadly than just art. I wanted to ask you what kind of assets are being tokenized. Now, before we go down there, I think we need to explain, and if you would do that, please, what do we mean by tokenization? And just on that point of what kind of assets, just to give you one example, uh, we were approached at MoneyWeb by somebody who's a wine producer down in the Cape who wanted to know uh, how he could use NFTs to sell his wine. Maybe you could give him some advice on that as well. But I'll leave it over to you. First of all, maybe just talk about what is tokenization. There are different types of tokens that we use daily. If you go to work and you've got an access card, there's typically a security token on the access card that you tap that authenticates you in order to open a turnstile or a security boom in order to drive through. That's a type of token. If you log into an online banking platform or Facebook, for example, you enter your credentials, uh, Facebook or a bank will authenticate you that the credentials are correct and a token will be issued to you as the user, as, as the person logging into a, a technology system, into Facebook servers, let's say. Those tokens would typically have a limited lifespan and it would sit in a cookies folder, which is something that identifies you to a technology system. So the same concept is now being brought into the space of, of uh, 
of crypto assets and blockchain where you can create tokens on Ethereum that serve more purposes than just simply logging into a system. A lot of people talk about, it's getting a bit technical, it feels here, but people talk about Web3 and the different opportunities that Ethereum and blockchains, for example, open up. What it means is if, if you, for example, own a certain type of token, uh, it, it can authenticate you in order to log into a specific application on top of Ethereum. But what's interesting is these, these tokens can also now have a monetary value because they're tradable. Okay. And so that's where the explosion of, of initial coin offerings, that gives some context to the explosion of initial coin offerings that we saw happening in 2017. And there was obviously a mania around this use case. So, so I guess a long story short, there's, there's different types of applications for token, not just only on blockchain, but also in the sort of day-to-day technology systems that we interact with. Um, but I, th- I guess the concept of tokenization as it pertains to blockchains is you are creating tokens and these tokens can have different types of use cases. They can, they can be very similar to securities like equities. They can be similar to, uh, you know, debt instruments. They can be uh, authentication tokens in order to log into an application, or they can be non-fungible tokens. So huge um, universe, I guess, is a massive addressable market. There's very many different types of tokens um, with many different types of use cases. So one does need to get quite specific, but really, you're creating something that to the user has some type of use case. And the innovation around NFTs is exploring some of these use cases. Okay, let's talk about blockchain technology. I mean, the blockchain technology is what is powering these NFTs. Now, what is the blockchain? It's this giant ledger. It's decentralized, so it doesn't exist on one computer. It's on thousands of computers all over the world. And that in itself is a huge advantage. Maybe you can go into that in a minute. But I wanted to really talk about what are the opportunities that are being presented by this blockchain technology. At MoneyWeb, we recently reported on the ability to buy a fraction of some prime real estate in the Cape. And this was made possible by blockchain tech. So you can own $70 worth of a prime hotel down in the Cape due to the functionality that's been introduced by blockchain technology. So all sorts of weird and wonderful things, including fractional ownership of shares, all of this is being made possible by the technology we've been talking about. What kind of innovations are, are catching your attention in this space? Yeah, look, so I'm we we're interested in in everything that is going on here. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on, but I think the big categories of interest to us at Investec is the payments use cases that blockchain uh, opens up and introduces. Um, where you're just simply moving values around. One use case, one application of it is a, is a new type of uh, asset known as, say, Bitcoin, which is something that, that does seem to, in the digital space, compete with what gold does to the analog world or in the physical space. Um, there are other interesting use cases, though, too, of these payment uh, payment use cases that blockchain opens up and that's in the space of central bank digital currencies or stable coins stable coins are essentially issuing traditional fiat currency onto this ledger known as blockchain in order to have crypto dollars 
you know, collateralized fully by traditional dollars. And we've seen a big explosion in that use case. And obviously, central banks are trying to get in on that action uh, with this concept known as CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. So th- th- those are interesting areas. I think extending that into the world of, of smart contracts, specifically decentralized finance is interesting because you're seeing a diversified financial services ecosystem developing where it does compete with the traditional financial services verticals, you know, asset management, stock exchanges, uh, equity issuance, where people are, again, using this phrase, tokenizing traditional securities. And what that would be is um, keeping, let's say, Apple or Tesla stock in an escrow account, redeemable one for one for a token listed on top of the Ethereum ledger, or the Ethereum blockchain. So that's a very interesting area, obviously, because it pertains to financial services, which is where our expertise as investor lies. And then, and then this, this, you know, art use cases around NFTs are very interesting because it's the first area of experimentation with with non fungible tokens and the smart contracts associated with that. I think where that starts to impact traditional banking and financial services in the future is um, one can imagine, and in fact, not imagine this is already happening, non-fungible token insurance contracts. So what's happening in the world of decentralized finance? Again, smart contracts on Ethereum, where if one if one deposits, let's say, crypto assets into a smart contract like Aave, Aave, A-A-V-E.com, um, which is a, a smart contract on Ethereum that, that allows you to deposit assets into the smart contract, which then becomes collateral to credit. So it's like a money market system. Okay. Um, if if one deposits funds into the smart contract, you're facing some smart contract risk. It's not risk-free. In other words, there are developers who have built those smart contracts and they can make mistakes. So you, if you want to you know, manage your risk of depositing crypto assets into a smart contract like this, you can take out insurance cover from something like Nexus Mutual, which can underwrite that risk for you. And there's a whole other set of smart contracts that manages that process of, you know, managing the the pool of assets in the insurance mutual. And there's a process around claims and payouts that's that's uh, governed by token holders of Nexus Mutual and the token is NXM. Okay, so those insurance contracts can now be tokenized into NFTs. And you can start packaging different types of NFTs together in order to manage your risk of participating in this new technology system. So all of the stuff going on here is obviously super interesting. It's all native to the blockchain itself, but where it really starts to, I guess, impact the traditional system is when, and I don't think we, we're quite close to this yet, but you did mention that there was a property, you know, a parcel of real estate tokenized um, on the, I guess it would be Ethereum blockchain and it was, you know, traded for rands and cents, um, is when NFTs start to interact with decentralized finance. In other words, I own Beeple's art, artwork it's a JPEG, but I, I, I've got the title to it. I've got the NFT. There's a market value that can be ascertained and established. What if I can deposit that NFT into a smart contract like Aave in order to take out a loan credit against it? That starts to obviously get really interesting. And, and the use cases there are 
are very wide ranging. So, so we were watching very closely what's going on with NFTs and and really just where where it starts to touch and to interact with DeFi and where all of this then interacts with traditional finance and how we can play a role in giving customers access uh, in an appropriate and safe manner. I was talking to David Root, the economist, quite recently. He's very keen on blockchain technology, as you're probably aware. One of the things that he's been doing and researching for a number of years is this whole issue of stable coins. So when we think of a stable coin, and there are stable coins backed by the RAND, there's XR, for example. There are a few other ones as well. These, these stable coins are tradable anywhere in the world, anybody who's willing to accept them. So you can be buying goods in China, paying in RAND-backed stable coins. But there's another aspect to this, which is also quite interesting and is starting to come up. A stable coin, it doesn't have to be backed by a fiat currency. It can be backed by any kind of asset. So it could be backed by a Kruger Rand. It could be backed by shares on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, anything. And you could have that as a stable coin. The only the reason it, it's got backing, whereas fiat, is, it's only the government that gives it backing. When we talk about stable coins, there's an actual underlying asset there. Is this an area that you see a lot of growth in? There's these weird and wonderful types of stable coins. You spoke about CBDC, central bank digital currencies. Uh, most central banks in the world seem to be looking at this. I, I have some doubts and some questions whether that's a, a good thing or not, but are we going to see just lots of types of money coming out? Well, Karen, I think that's that's exactly it. We, I guess, for the first time in a long time since the 1800s, you are seeing, in essence, a, a level of, of, of free banking and privately issued monies proliferating on the internet. And, and so there's, in a sense, going to be a lot of competition between diff- all these different types of innovations and, and experiments, I would still say, at this stage. Um, and, and, and they will, over time, compete with the currencies that we're very familiar with and use most widely today. I do not know which forms of money over the longer term wins and is successful, um, but it would have to obviously be those those currencies that 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 best serve the broader population. And I don't think that that nation states borders are going to have much of a bearing on this. Um, in the sense that what we're talking about here is the internet of money. So in the same same sense that we don't really think about uh, borders when we send an email or a WhatsApp. We're not going to be thinking, I would say, in the next ten to twenty years, about borders when we when we're interacting with, um, you know, assets and transferring value amongst, you know, different individuals or entities around the world over the internet. All right, uh, Chris, I want to ask, ask you now to cast your mind about two to three years into the future and just envision what kind of a world we could be talking about. I mean, there's some really fascinating possibilities that are emerging, and, and we've touched upon a few of them, stable coins, uh, borderless societies, uh, what does that mean for the nation state, all of these kind of things. They're probably, it's too early to answer questions like that in any great, and they're very philosophical questions, but I don't know if we can answer them to any satisfaction at the moment. But looking two to three years into the future, what will the world of blockchain and NFTs look like? 
Jess, I mean, that's that's really hard to, to to even answer looking two to three years out. I mean, I wasn't expecting this this explosion of NFT activity to happen so quickly. I thought that might, I thought we might see uh, more activity around decentralized finance for, for a little bit longer, kind of exploring that use case and the traditional finance would would become more familiar and and experiment and get involved a lot more with what's happening on that side of things. And then suddenly NFTs blow up in 2021 and I personally didn't expect it to come so soon. So what does feel like, um, I get the sense when one operates in this, this space where innovation happens at the speed of the internet, not at the speed of I would say traditional finance. There's so much happening, and it's moving so quickly. It feels like it feels like several years can be squashed up into one. So looking two to three years out is kind of difficult. But what I do think we're going to see is is um, use cases in in gaming proliferate, in the sense that when one plays uh, games, you know. My daughter, for example, loves to play Minecraft and Roblox. On, on Roblox, you have to buy a currency called Robux, and that gives you the ability to buy different types of in-game assets. Um, and you can you can you can style your persona in the game, for example, uh, which I think the youth loves. And there's this metaverse that's developing where you know you 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 live in the real world, but you also kind of there's a gaming world where you you know engaging with friends and playing games and competing against each other but there's also this monetary and asset aspect to it so what happens right now is the the game gaming companies essentially own all the ip and the assets and the currency all remains in the game and is in a private siloed system in other words you can't you can't use a currency like bitcoin in roblox as well as minecraft to buy an asset that is also transferable between different games so I think we're going to see a lot more use cases around that. But I'm, I also think like there's a game, for example, uh, called Axie Infinity on Ethereum that utilizes this concept also with NFTs where you can you can own different in-game digital goods and you are actually incentivized to play the game because you can earn an income from it. There's another game, for example, on Ethereum where you have to own a digital good which is the primary vehicle with which to play the game. Now, these things cost ETH. They cost, you know, when you convert that ETH back into dollars or rand, they, they cost money. Um, so you've got to buy this digital good to play the game, but you can also rent that good out using smart contracts to other people who want to play the game, and they pay you an, an income. You know, and there's a, there's, a, there's a sort of interest stream that people can generate off of NFTs now. And so I think these types of applications are going to be very interesting in an economic environment when, where many people are struggling to find work, where a lot of the youth, um, you know, are locked out of jobs. They've got, you know, university debts. I mean, whatever the, whatever the macro story is, story is going to be different for every single person out there. This ecosystem suddenly provides this opportunity where you can get engaged in a new type of technology system that incentivizes you and gives you an opportunity to earn, earn an income. So I think that's interesting. And I also think that a lot of these applications that we've been talking about that are kind of siloed at the moment on Ethereum and in the blockchain ecosystem 
are going to become so seamlessly integrated um, that 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 the use case and and people's uh, the incentive for people to use it is just going to you know it's going to it's going to increase exponentially. So I think we're going to see a lot of these these applications going a lot more mainstream in the next two to three years. But I I can't say exactly what those use cases are going to be and and what the sort of killer app is that really brings this into the mainstream. I mean, NFTs have caused a hype, but less than 5% of the world's population are still connected to to blockchains or NFTs. I mean, NFTs is obviously even lower. So when I say mainstream, this hitting the mainstream, I'm thinking about what is that, what is that application that brings 30 to 50% of the population into this technology system. That's going to be interesting, and I can't predict that. One of the things that possibly you might have looked at, and I'd like you to comment on this, is the impact it'll have on professional services, for example, on the legal profession and the accounting profession. If you look at the audit process, for example, at the moment, you, when a company goes in and does an audit, they're doing a sample of the number of transactions that exist in a company. That might be a sample of one probably at the outside, maybe 2% of all the transactions. And from that, you're trying to verify the accuracy of the financial statements as given. Now, if you have the, the ability to register all transactions on the blockchain in a company, you're doing an audit in effect in real time because this is an unalterable database and everything is visible to the public, or if it's a private company, it would be, that wouldn't be the case, but it would certainly be visible to the senior financial executives. So I mean, the point I'm making is that, you know, you're going to have a 100% audit sample possibility, and, and that's coming quite fast. And I, I think the other thing is smart contracts where uh, lawyers at the moment, you spend hours and hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars arguing the terms of contracts in court, whereas in a smart contract, there is no intermediary like a lawyer who can dispute this. There's no court that can adjudicate this. These contracts become self-executing. As you said, you know, uh, you, you want to transfer some money to me, we can create a smart contract. You know, if I deliver a podcast to you on time of a certain quality, then and that quality, we must be able to specify it in the contract. You're going to transfer some money to me. If you take away the intermediaries like the lawyers and the accountants, and you, you sort of left with, I'm not saying that the, these professionals will disappear, but they're going to have to um, reskill themselves, I think, in this area of blockchain. What do you think about that as an idea? Yeah, look, I think I think that's, that's coming. Really to disintermediate uh, professions like lawyers um, is going gonna, is gonna to take quite a long time i think where the the initial disruption is going to be is is going to be in the the sort of industry verticals that are digital only and and i think it might catch many people by surprise and when i say that I, I, where i see this happening is businesses like twitter businesses like facebook uh, businesses like spotify or apple music um, these these big tech companies that are intermediaries that sit between essentially the bulk of information flows and data stored on the internet as we know it today. So how blockchain disrupts this, uh, I guess I can explain as follows. When somebody logs into, um, you know, let's use Facebook as an example. You log into Facebook 
and you authenticate it, you get a token, they identify you, you get access to your information stored on that and on their servers. Um, those servers are private servers. Facebook owns those servers. They essentially control your data. And as we know, there's been all sorts of privacy concerns and issues around this because they're monetizing your data through advertising and they have all sorts of, um, There's concerns around privacy. Let me just let me just put it that way. And the business model that makes that type of business tick. Um, what blockchains are, and this comes to back to a question you asked earlier, is um, the internet protocols that we use, like we're using now to communicate over Zoom for this, um, are wide ranging, but they they're best for transmitting information. They don't store information. The internet protocols that we use predominantly today aren't able to store information on public servers. And so, so that sort of fundamental design architectural issue consideration of the internet as we know it today led to the rise of these massive servers where economies of scale paid for them to store huge amounts of information. What blockchain introduces is public data stores, public servers where information can be stored outside of private databases. And so to me, that's going to be the most interesting area of disruption. So, so, so that's where, you know, you have digital content creators. Let's say we've got a digital artist. That artist has an Instagram profile. That digital content creator is posting information onto Instagram in the form of an image. They're essentially paid in what? Followers and likes. Okay, Instagram is monetizing the digital content through advertising back at the followers. Okay, and 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 so the 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 best sort of opportunity for that digital content creator is to post information to get a lot of likes, to get paid in likes, and then to hope for some commissioned work on the side outside of Instagram. So what these public data centers in the form of blockchains with property rights attached to them in the form of non-fungible tokens give to content creators is the ability to create content that can be distributed and monetized directly to the public, directly to their audience, their target audience. And in addition to that, and over and above having the ability to just monetize your content directly for money, you know, for an income, when that, that piece of content sells, in the future, in the secondary market. So I buy this NFT, Chris, I pay the artist for it. I then sell it to somebody else in the future. Those NFTs can be set up and mostly are set up to programmatically pay a portion of the, the trade price back to the artist. So, so artists and digital content creators in general are super excited about this because it starts to take out these big intermediaries that have created so many issues and concerns over the last few years. So I think in the digital world, in those digital verticals, that's where you're going to see the first big disruptions happening. It may sound unbelievable and counterintuitive right now, but, but that's my sense. I think it uh, doesn't sound that unbelievable. Uh, the book, Life After Google by George Gilder, he went into this in, in some detail. He basically just looked at the, if you take any decade over the last 50 years and you look at what are the top biggest companies in the world, 
and you cycle past 10 years, it's they're replaced by something else. Well, the biggest company in the world at the moment is Apple, followed by uh, Aramco, followed by Microsoft, followed by Facebook, uh, you know, Tesla and so on. And if you project 10 years into the future, there's, there's going to be a new batch of companies. Well, what happens to the old ones? Well, at one time, you know, General Motors was up there and uh, General, sorry, General Electric was up there. It's not there anymore. And this point that you make about these companies that are taking your data, your intellectual property, your likes, your dislikes, your habits and everything, and creating a monetary flow from that. Um, this revolution that we're seeing happening right now is kind of turning that on its head, or we hope it will, in that it's going to direct people to, it's, it's going to return some of that flow back to the creators of content, back to the creators of the art, instead of to the Instagrams and the Googles and the Facebooks. So I think that's a that's a fascinating idea uh, and a very democratizing idea. Well, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I wanted to just sort of add a just an idea for people to think about, for you to think about, is if you think of, of digital goods that exist today, if you think about your online life, you think about the files that you have stored, you think about the applications that you have installed, you think about you know the applications that you access and the content that you upload to those. What of those digital goods do we own? We don't own many digital assets. We don't own many digital goods. And so that's the context to why this is such a big deal. Property rights coming to the digital sphere is a massive game changer. And we're scratching the surface of that right now with NFTs. It's a fascinating thought, Chris. Uh, final question here. Uh, I did introduce you as blockchain lead at Investec. Uh, and I want to find out, Investec does seem to be fairly ahead of the curve on this. Is there anything exciting happening in your world and in the world of banking that relates to blockchain and some of these technologies we've been talking about? As Investec, we've been spending a lot of time researching the space the last four years very closely. We've uh, identified the need for, for building the capabilities to connect our clients to this new technology system. And there's, as we've discussed, so many different use cases that this opens up the door for. We, we're testing this capability with South African regulators in, in what is known as the, the IFWG's regulatory sandbox. Um, so we, we're doing a lot of work on that front. Um, we are also excited obviously to be the sponsor of the Cape Town International Art Fair. I'm not sure um, whether non-fungible tokens are going to be you know, widely up for sale and on display there, but I do believe they're going to be digital showrooms and uh, we're also interested to see how we can you know, work with, with this community to, to help bring a new type of asset class to life. Um, as Investec, we're obviously interested in everything money and, and assets and banking and wealth and investment services. So, uh, you know, we're paying close attention to the space uh, and where it intersects traditional finance and asset classes. We're going to leave it there. That was Chris Becker, Blockchain Lead and Investec. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Kieran. Good to talk to you.
Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.